0: Welcome to the midweek edition of Couch Potato Diary. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Coming to you from the Clearwater Cleaning Solutions broadcast studio, Clearwater Cleaning Solutions is a locally owned commercial and residential cleaning company who specializes in commercial cleaning from shared workspaces and commercial buildings to medical clinics, retail stores, production facilities, and high-rise building maintenance. Find them out online at clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. Com. You can find me online, Twitter and Instagram. I am at PrimeTimeKlein Twitch TV slash PrimeTimePK. You can email the show CouchPotatoDiary at Yahoo.com. The music that you are listening to provided by Wasted Talent. We got some NHL to talk about today. We got some NBA to talk about today. We have a lack of Major League Baseball, which is something we're going to talk about today. But we begin in the National Hockey League, where the Calgary Flames are back on track with a victory over the Minnesota Wild, uh, a couple of victories over the Minnesota Wild, with the most recent one coming last night. And this team, we're we're probably going to stop talking about them here in a little bit, because it's just we've kind of run out, out of things to say about them. And last night, I thought was a very good showing of all the ways this team can be dangerous, all kind of in one. You have a power play that was lethal to to start this game. And we'll get to why in a little bit on the Minnesota side. But you get a power play that is just on fire. Kachuk, they, they said uh, 10 of his 27 goals this year have come on the power play. They get another power play goal that really kind of seals the game late, or, or early on in the third period, sorry. And it, it's just that they're, with all the skill they have, there is really no stopping them. And the thing that you like about them is it, it kind of summarizes this team as a whole, where there is obviously skill, like Johnny Gaudreau, careerier, all of that stuff, Matthew Kachuk, one of the better playmakers on the team as well, and you have the scoring ability of Gaudreau, Kachuk, Lindholm, and Tyler Toffoli, but another thing that you have on this power play unit that I think is so important is you still have that Daryl Setter grinder mentality, where the puck retrieval is so important and that's where they end up getting that first goal you have um, a shot from Goudreau the puck is loose there there is an opportunity for Minnesota to get it and clear it or Calgary's going to win it and get a great opportunity out of it and Calgary wins it Matthew Kachuk is alone over on that would be the right side and he's able to put it away and Calgary gets off to a 1-0 start that is the type of battle and that is the type of stuff where you don't necessarily think about it when you think of Daryl Sutter hockey or when you think of like grinding out victories and stuff Like that, you think of like board battles and strong defensive play, but it's winning those types of puck battles and being able to retrieve the puck to get to to steal basketball terms like second and third chance opportunities, especially on the power play. That's where it can really do wonders for you. And then you have a team that played pretty well defensively in the first, things kind of start to break down as the period goes along, but when that happens, Jacob Markstrom is right there to really kind of hold the fort for the the, the Flames. I, I thought he made some excellent saves. That Minnesota top line was dangerous all night. Kaprasov with the the, the setup on Felino for the goal, with the the speed that he had to get behind the defense. I thought that was a really... that they, they had success with it a couple of times, and I really liked it, where it was just a, a soft chip into the zone, and then Kaprasov uses his speed, and it kind of it caught Hannafin off guard on the, the, the Felino goal. But the defenseman... It's not like a a big chip in where they have to turn around and go back it's just far enough that a defenseman could reach back and try to get it, but with Kaprasov's speed, he's able to get behind quick boom-bang, and it's in the back of your net. I, I thought that was a really effective use of just a, a quick chip into the offensive zone from the Minnesota Wild, and then you had Zuccarello winning a lot of board battles. That was creating a lot of opportunities for Minnesota to to kind of get back in that game, and Markstrom just shut them down at every turn, and then, again, you have Manjapani winning a battle in front and scoring. Like It was, it was a complete effort from... Calgary Flames and it is something I have said before this team can play with anyone and because this this is a good Minnesota Wild team that they just shit kicked twice and Minnesota's in a bit of a speed wobble right now but this is still a very good hockey team and I think a pretty good defensive team and they made them like they they beat the Minnesota Wild at Minnesota Wild Hockey and and for the Wild the thing that concerned me from this for them was that net front presence was not there for them all night and like I, I thought, Calgary had a pretty good run of the high danger scoring opportunities and the, the high danger scoring areas. And when there was some loose pucks, Calgary was getting to a lot of them. And if Minnesota wants to to kind of shore up one thing at this deadline, it would be maybe someone a little bit more effective in front of their own net because there was a, a few issues there where I, I thought that some better defending might have been able to to help them. But now we are in the last month before the trade deadline, just a few weeks away. What do you look for now? From a Flames perspective, I, I keep talking about the, the need to add another defenseman. And I think I'm not saying, well, Good Branson's playing so well, you can't replace him. But Good Branson's actually playing okay at times. Like, I'm, I'm still not all the way sold on him as a player. But I, I still think just a bit more forward depth on this team is the way to go. And for Minnesota, you, you look at where they had some issues in these couple of nights. That top line was great. Everyone else uh, wasn't, really. And I don't want to judge too much off of just a couple of games, but it does really look like a bit more scoring depth for Minnesota might be in the cards, which leads us to our last topic in the NHL, and that is Jake DeBrusque. Um, He has... Requested a trade out of Boston, which is very surprising to me, because that seems like a perfect fit for him. Boston has responded by showcasing him on the top line, and he has five goals in his last six games, and he is playing out of his damn mind, and he hasn't been able to reach this level consistently enough, I don't think, for the Bruins, where you can just rely on this, but you at least know it is there. Like, I I don't think this is a flash-in-the-pan type of a... This isn't a Jonathan Chichu sort of a situation. This is a guy who has a very good shot, has some wheels, and can battle. Like, he he is kind of a, a complete package in that sort of thing. I'm not saying he's the best player in the league, but he has the talents that could make him one of the the better players in the National Hockey League. It's just, it doesn't always get all put together all the time. But when I look at a team like a Minnesota for example, where maybe you could use a little bit more high-end scoring depth. I still think teams like the Kings and the Ducks need just a touch more of that on their teams. I think that DeBrusque would be a very interesting trade piece. To, to TSN, I was so bummed out. I should have done the show yesterday because uh, TSN has rocketed him to the top of their trade tracker trade bait thing. And I was like, ah, that was going to be my move today. Uh, <laughs> but I think he becomes one of the most intriguing pieces of the NHL trade deadline and and the reason being it's kind of like uh, Lindholm with the Ducks where you have a team that is right now set up to win and it's a bit different from the Ducks because they're just kind of entering their winning phase whereas the Bruins are in kind of the last hallway before the exit like they are holding on to this and still a very good team like I'm not saying they are old and and fading out I, I would put them I mean, they are literally ahead of the the Washington Capitals, but I would put them ahead of the Capitals in that situation. And as far as teams that I could see winning the Stanley Cup, I still think the Bruins are in there. And their issue, though, is I think they need a second-line center. Uh, Coyle can be that on certain nights, but boy, you would feel better if he was your third. And if you lose to Brusque, that is a major hit to your secondary scoring the Bruins can't just trade him for a bunch of picks and then just try to get at it next year. I mean, look, maybe they can. Like, maybe if you can get, a, a like, a crazy futures haul for DeBrusque, maybe you do that and try to reset going into next year and hope to kind of retool on the fly while still being successful. But if you do that, there has to be another move coming because this is still a Bruins team that I think needs to, needs to push. You know, like, the, I think they owe it to... Um, I think they owe it to Bergeron. I think they owe it to Marchand. I think they owe it to the veterans on this team to to really give this a go until the wheels really do fall off. So the Bruins all of a sudden become one of the more interesting teams here in the last 20 some odd days before the NHL's trade deadline. I said this was a lot of topic on the NHL. I lied. Uh, just a quick one on the Vancouver Canucks after their loss on Monday. They need to get Halak figured out. This is a couple of times where he has not been able to last the whole way and give Thatcher Demko the the rest that he needs. And he needs it. That guy is the only reason this team has been able to hang around in this race. And I look at Vancouver as an option for a DeBrusque. Um, but I, I think the Canucks need to if they want to really make a run at this, they need to get another backup goalie in there because, A, you can't afford to just have those be wasted nights. It can't be Glenn Healy behind Curtis Joseph from back in the day. The Canucks' backup goalie situation, I think, is an actual need for them because they need to win those games. And also, Thatcher Demko can't just play every night from now to the rest of the season. That That's just that's no way to run your organization at this point. So I, I think they're going to need to get that backup goalie spot figured out. In the NBA, the Toronto Raptors coming off of back-to-back wins over the Brooklyn Nets to kind of rebound after what was a sketchy weekend for them um, after losses to the Atlanta Hawks and the Charlotte Hornets, almost called the Bobcats, that's weird, um, but they, they're they able to bounce back after a couple of just thorough drubbings at the hands of those two teams and the big kind of spark plug for them was Scotty Barnes a couple of nights ago in Brooklyn, he gets his first 10 buckets to go in. He ends up with 28 points on the night and was just an absolute monster. I think when you look at the the way this Toronto Raptor team plays, Scottie Barnes is a perfect fit. And man, he... He has already, I think, passed best-case scenario for him this season. And I, again, I was down on the pick and it looks just absolutely crazy because Sug struggled and then he got hurt. And now he's... Starting to find his way a little bit. But I, I and I still think Suggs is going to be a, a good player, but starter on a good team, I don't know. Barnes, I'm not saying he's dude you can build around. Like the Giannis comparisons are a little bit crazy. It's oh a lanky guy who can't really shoot. It must be Giannis. And he goes to the gym a couple of times a week, too. But for for Scottie Barnes, it's just it is a non-stop motor with him. And he just he sees the game so well. There was a play the other night where Siakam kind of has it in the low block and he's posting up and he's looking and he's looking and there's just a connection there right away. Siakam knows to not go too far into the lane. Barnes knows I need to go into the lane. It is a quick cut and he is wide open for a dunk. There's just a lot of those plays. And... There's still a couple of working mistakes. He he had a couple of issues um, rebounding the other night when Brooklyn started to go on their run. But overall, this kid is everything you could have asked for for the Toronto Raptors. And when you luck your way into a top five pick the way the Raptors did, this is the type of home run swing that you need to hit to be able to, to kind of progress things. I think when you look at the nucleus that is being built in Toronto, I I don't I still don't think that this is a team that is of a championship caliber at this point. I still think they need, like, one of the guys to really super-duper hit in a way that John ja Morant has with the Grizzlies, and we'll talk about that in a second. But I, I think Barnes really extends the life of this Raptors team and kind of negates the need to try to blow things up. Like some people were talking about earlier in the season when... They were kind of, like, they were playing over their heads a little bit. Siakam hadn't played yet, and then Siakam comes in and struggles to to start things out, but they have figured their shit out, and it has gone extremely well for them. On the other side of this, there's a, a couple of other players who have stepped up. You have had injuries everywhere, right? And because of that, things have kind of shifted. Like, you had Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi both out, and so because of that, you have Malachi Flynn step into the starting lineup. So does Kem Birch. And because of that, Precious, uh, Precious Achua has been able to get more run. And something clicked for Precious at the NBA's um, All-Star Weekend. He was in the, the the Rising Stars Challenge. And he played alright in that, as well as you can, in a weird All-Star game when you're not a, a high-flyer, three-point shooter. But there is a shift in Precious now. And that is, again, massive for this Raptors team. Same thing with Malachi Flynn. I didn't recognize that dude when he was playing these last couple of nights. There is a confidence to him. There is a swagger to him that you just didn't see. And there was part of it, there is part of it where Brooklyn he was the one Brooklyn was cheating off of a lot. And so he was open quite a bit and he was able to take advantage. And that's, he is the reason I think that the Raptors won these last couple of games is because of the confidence that he is playing with. And if you can get him going and if you can get Precious going along with like when when OG and Fred come back for the Raptors, then you can have a bench unit of Fred, or sorry, of of Flynn, I guess Banton. Um, But then also you have, Thad Young, and Precious, and Kem Birch that you can roll out there, you now all of a sudden have faith in a bench unit. This isn't the bench mob of a few years ago, but you have faith in this bench unit that they can take you, that they can at least keep you in some of these games, and that was not something that the Raptors had before, and that's why you were seeing Siakam playing 40 minutes a night, even in blowouts, and Van Vliet playing 40 minutes a night. If you now have the confidence in Flynn and in Precious to be able to roll them out there a little bit more that this is a very valuable stretch for the Toronto Raptors, and I, I think that this could be a point, if the Raptors start to take off here a little bit, I think these couple of games will be looked upon as real, a real turning point moment for this Raptors team. Speaking of turning point moments, segues, John Morant, holy shit, 50-point uh, night against the San Antonio Spurs the other night, and I get this isn't the, the San Antonio Spurs of a decade ago, but San Antonio, Simmons talked about this on his podcast, San Antonio's main mission in that game was make sure Jaw doesn't get fifty by the time the second half rolled around. After he makes that crazy finish at the end of the first half with the, the Adams lob down the court and then the the crazy buzzer beater. And also when he retired Jakob Pertle with that phenomenal poster. Um Uh, I I think the kids would call it now that he's been put on a top shot. Because that that was, whatever meme or anything you want to put onto it, that was that. Ja Morant was incredible that night. And San Antonio's sole mission of life was to make sure that dude didn't go off for 50. And he went off for 52. It was a crazy night. He was unstoppable in ways that only the best players in this league are. And I think now Ja has reserved his seat at that table. He has now moved into that difference maker category. And we talk about getting into top picks in the draft and wanting to, uh, wanting to hit that home run. Jaw is definitely that. You you have people saying he is unquestioned now as the number one guy from that draft when Zion Williamson was a generational talent coming out of Duke. And by the way, still might be. He just needs to play, ever. But for, for Ja Morant, I don't think any discussion about his upside is too much now. I, and my initial thought, when someone has a big game like that, and they've been playing well all season, and then it's, oh, this guy's lock MVP candidate, I kind of, uh, is he? Because I still think Jokic is that. The fact that the Denver Nuggets haven't fallen apart entirely with their next two best players being out all season With injuries. Um, Jokic is playing like the best player in the league. And I think he deserves the MVP. And I think Embiid is right there. But I now think John Morant at least is in the others receiving votes category. With with how he has played. I think there was a bit of an overreaction with the guy locked MVP. But you look at the turnaround that he has done for the Memphis Grizzlies. And the comparisons to, to Giannis certainly... I don't think are warranted obviously entirely different players and John Morant isn't as physically dominant but it's just there is a pressure he puts on defenses and there is a confidence that he puts in this Grizzlies team that you really I I don't think you can overstate how important John Morant has been to Memphis and it's a sign, I think, of the league healing a little bit. When when Zion comes back, if he is able to work things out with the Pelicans, you look at the players that you have on small market teams right now, where you have Giannis with the Bucks, you have Jaw with the the, the Grizzlies, you have potentially Zion with the New Orleans Pelicans, you have... I was going to say the New Orleans Saints because the dude looks like a linebacker right now. Um, with Cleveland, you, you have Mobley and just that crew in Cleveland. Like, this is... I think, a very good sign for the league. And look, maybe in three years, Jaw and um, Zion want to play together in New York, and it it ruins this whole conversation. But for now, I think this is a very exciting time for the National Basketball Association because you have some young players in some small markets that is just... It's rising, I think, the whole level of the NBA, and that's great. And, And for the Grizzlies now, this really does have a feel... Of, and I'm not going to say they're going to turn into the next NBA dynasty, but this feels to me like the early days of the Golden State run with Curry and Draymond and, um, and and Clay. Like, it's kind of the end of the Mark Jackson, beginning of the Steve Kerr era in in Golden State, where it's like, the only reason we don't fully believe that this team can go all the way, is just because we haven't seen it yet. Every other box is checked. They defend like madmen. I wish they would shoot a touch better, but even that's starting to improve a little bit. Um, And you have the excitement, you have the the, um, generational star of Ja Morant that can take you to the next level. Like I think the Grizzlies check off every box along the way, and that is... Oh, it's just awesome to watch. It really, really is awesome to watch what's happening right now in Memphis. The music that you hear on Couch Potato Diary is provided by Wasted Talent. Find them on Instagram, at Wasted Talent, with X's where the A's would be. And also find their producer on Instagram, at (sighs) Tommy Fresh Music. Well... Major League Baseball did its thing. And by its thing, I mean uh, ruined everything. As it's, we had promised coming out of Monday into Tuesday, hey, look at this, maybe the two sides are going to, what's that? An insulting offer? Oh. Welp. And we're back at a point now where we are missing games. The first two series of the year have been cancelled by Major League Baseball. A 162-game season is not possible. Which means for the third year in a row, we're going to look at a season and go, Ah, yeah, it was a bit of a weird one, though. So, this is entirely frustrating. And, again, you look at... Just look at the sports landscape with me for a moment, won't you? Look at how popular every other sport in the world is right now. Like the NFL never better the NBA we just talked about the potential that the NBA has for growth with these young stars that are coming in and by the way this draft class is phenomenal so you're going to get more of that and then you look at the NHL which is the generally the red-headed stepchild of the um of the sports world they're on ESPN and Turner. And they're putting up big numbers. Women's sports. Through the roof. Most watched hockey game of the last five years. That women's gold medal game. The WNBA is reaching new heights of TV viewership. All, all, all of these sports are right. ESPN has the UFC. And they're carrying the streaming service for the worldwide leader in sports right now. Soccer is getting massive signing, um, television rights deals. And it's become wildly popular here in North America. We are having another sports boom period. And Major League Baseball is like, eh, maybe. But also, we don't want to raise the competitive balance tax by more than $6 million, so fuck off. It's infuriating to watch a sport that the only way... It's been able to salvage anything for the last my entire lifetime is a steroid scandal. That's the only way they've been able to to stay relevant. The only thing they could think of to get relevant for a decade was to juice their dudes to the gills, turn a blind eye to it, and watch the record book get exploded. Aside from that, what's baseball done to market the sport properly what you you look at the nfl and the changes that they have made to make the sport more enjoyable they created a damn channel that revolutionized the sport in nfl red zone and they are now seeing like broadcasters are getting 20 million dollars to call nfl games so they're doing all right you look at the nba we just talked about the exciting players that are coming into this league and they haven't necessarily changed a whole lot of rules. Although, I mean, look, they, they made a few changes this year to some of the foul rules that have faded away over time, but it made the game a bit more watchable. Like, all of these sports are doing all of these things to... Feel more exciting and to get fans more excited and baseball which has a crop of young players we talk about the NBA and all these exciting young players look at what you have in baseball look what you've had in the World Series just for the last few years you had Soto a couple of years ago who was just a, a man among men and he's like eight years old and he, he's an exciting player Acuna wasn't even healthy and the Braves were still one of the most exciting teams in the league they won a championship the Dodgers have one of the most fun players in the league in Mookie Betts. And you look on down the line, you look at what's happening, selfishly for me, in Toronto with Vlad Guerrero Jr. You look at what the the White Sox were able to build and the exciting players they had and the moment they had at the Field of Dreams game with Tim Anderson hitting the the home run. And you have a couple of other players on that team that are wildly exciting. You have Mike Trout, you have Shohei Otani, who is an international superstar. You have all of these exciting things. It should be a rush to get back on, they should be like, oh, mate, 160, can we go 180? Can we? Like, they should be trying to get more baseball out there. Instead, there is this petty disagreement, and I, I've said before, the only thing that is holding this up is one side wants to win bigger than the other side, and that is incredibly infuriating. Like, you look at, someone made an excellent point, um, writer for Fangraphs, I forget who it was, but he pointed out, like, this isn't, the 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 last offer that the players' association sent isn't a fair one to the players, and Major League Baseball is like, nope. They just want to win harder than they won last time, and they kicked the shit out of the union last time. The fact that this is still going on is embarrassing, and the fact that they are even laughing a little bit at the press conferences like this is a embarrassing, embarrassing time for baseball. And I'm not going to say that this is the final nail in baseball's coffin because I don't think it's a sport that, because of its history, can ever really go away. But, man, like, they are... It's like you get a life preserver, and you just knife it up right away. And, oh, well, this must be for eating, right? Like, that—that's that's where baseball is at right now. They are drowning, and they have this opportunity to come back. Like, there is absolutely no reason to not come back. Expanded playoffs, fine. Like, no other sport in the world... Uh, i guess hockey to a certain extent but no other sport really tries to keep its exciting young players away from the game as much as baseball does like it's just maybe baseball needs this pause and everyone to just step back and it's not going to happen but the owners need to step back and like what the heck are we doing here and i get like the the whole the the owners don't love the game trope is so tired because uh, most owners don't you know like there's and the ones that do love it too much and they get in the way a whole lot like for a lot of these guys, this is just an investment. And that's the other frustrating part about this is that they want to make more and more money on a thing that is already gaining value all the time. So you want to be able to make 20, $30 million a year, and then you want to be able to sell the thing for $8 billion by the time the whole thing is done. And every other sport has been able to do that. And baseball probably will be able to do that too. It's just, it's, I I can't, I know I'm supposed to because it's a podcast and that's kind of the point of all of it, but I I can't put into words how frustrating this is. And you look at, like, the, the damage that has already been done in some markets because of the last lockout. Like, they lost the team in Montreal. it just j- gone. Um, and you look at, like, some of the... I guess looking at attendance numbers the last few years is a little bit weird because, you know, the pandemic and everything that's gone on. But, like, that, that only masks some of the issues right now and like the national broadcasts are basically non-existent ratings wise like baseball already had a perception problem and it's getting bigger and bigger by the second that this lockout goes on and again the thing I keep bringing up we have baseball people tweeting about it but aside from that the sports news wire right now isn't missing baseball at all and I think baseball needs to be very worried about that, that they're, in the next, I mean, two hours, they're going to be backpaged for the NFL scouting combine. That should concern baseball greatly. That's going to do it for the show today. Thank you all so much. Please remember, Rate, review, subscribe, wherever you can. Download this. Tell your friends to download it. Even if you don't listen, just download it. Um, it's it's all, all greatly appreciated. And please support our sponsor uh, for the studio. They are Clearwater Cleaning Solutions. They are a locally owned commercial and residential cleaning company who specializes in commercial cleaning from shared workspaces and commercial buildings to medical clinics, retail stores, production facilities, and high-rise building maintenance. Find them online, clearwatercleaningsolutions.com. Twitter and Instagram, I am at primetimecline. Twitch.tv slash primetimepk. You can email the show couch potato diary at yahoo.com. The music you're listening to right now provided by wasted talent. Find the producer on Instagram at tommyfreshmusic. We had no idea comes out every week on these same podcasting platforms. It's a general history podcast that I do tomorrow. We'll have a bonus episode that you'll hear from it on the episode we did on Muhammad Ali. Thank you all so much for tuning in. I'll be back. Like I said, bonus episode here tomorrow. We also have the Twitch stream coming up tomorrow as well. Friday massive show we got AEW Revolution we have UFC 272 we have some local stuff going on as Can-Am wrestling continues to do big things a lot of fun happening on this uh, channel this week can't wait to talk to you guys when we're back at it tomorrow I'm out